Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who was a feminist before he even knew what the word meant. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Happy National Women's Day. Yeah, cheers to all the lady listeners out there. It's ladies' night in the garage, Captain. We are very happy to be drinking Tweak Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout by Avery Brewing Company. Tweak yourself. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. Check out this American Imperial Double Stout. Reminder, ABV 17.5%, so either stay at home and drink it in your garage or call an Uber and try not to barf in the back seat. Either way, you're going to love this strong boozy stout with coffee added aged in bourbon barrels from the very cool people at Avery Brewing. And Tweak was brought to us by these very cool people. First up, we have Jody from Jasper, Georgia. Jody is a big sock club fan, thanks to the captain. Mm, next, my kind of lady. Next, we have Maya in Simi Valley, California. Some very good wine comes out of Simi Valley. Maya says, try some Alesmith IPA out of San Diego. Done and done. She says, we love the show. We listen to it as a family. We are all true crime addicts. Well, we like your family's jib. Staying out west, let's say hi to Sierra in Bloomington, Utah. And oh, mm. how about a little retaliation here, Captain? Remember, revenge is a dish that is best served cold, my friend. Listen to this. This is from Darren in Madison, Wisconsin. He says, this beer money is for Nick only. I emphasize what? this must be used by Nick and not the Captain. We don't like your chief. Thank you, Darren. And I can tell, Darren, that you are a very bright and highly intelligent person. So cheers, mate. Next, we have Justin in Quebec. Next, we have Maggie and Nicole in Wisconsin who says, we send a lot of love to the captain. So there there you go, captain. You, you got something a little back there. And also, we have Mandy in Charlotte, North Carolina. I know it was a competition. I, 
I, the listeners turned it into a competition. Yeah. And last but not least, we have Krista from Port Chester, New York. So thank you to everybody for buying us this round, especially Darren. And if you want to pitch yeah, in for yeah, next well, week's show. A little note to Darren. If, if I don't hit record, you can't hear his nasally drone. <laughs> So, so I'm going to take a sip of that beer just because, you know, I'm hitting record on that microphone. Anybody that wants to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And like always, we like your team. If anybody wants to check out our old shows, they're available on iTunes in the iTunes store and also on our website at truecrimegarage.com on the store page. Also, we'll be putting more videos up on YouTube soon. Uh, we got a creepy little video with the creepy photos. Uh, up on YouTube now if you want to check that out. It's basically a video of Nick's nose. But uh, <laughs> If you're looking for a nice nose. Yeah, it's kind of a nose that looks like it sniffed too much glue in elementary school. Well, we've been adding a lot of videos to that. That's uh, True Crime Garage TV on YouTube. Also, check out our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, Untapped, at True Crime Garage. That's enough for the business. That's right, everybody. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Except for Darren. No beer for Darren. Investigators say Bob Evans is responsible for the deaths of Denise Bowden, four unidentified people in Allenstown, and Yoon Soon June. Let's take a closer look at exactly who these victims are. Now, we begin with Denise Bowden, who graduated from Goffstown High School in 1976. She worked at Carroll Cable and the Demers Nursing Home in Manchester before her disappearance. Now, when Bowden was 23 years old, she lived at 925 Hayward Street in Manchester with Evans, who was her boyfriend at the time. Now, shortly after Thanksgiving in 1981, Bowden disappeared, her body never found. Four years later, the bodies of an adult woman and a female child related to that woman were found in a barrel in a wooded area of Allenstown. The adult, described as a white woman with brown hair, 23 to 33 years old. The child, described as white and between the ages of 5 and 11. Then in 2000, two more children were found in barrels on the same Allenstown property. Both girls were around two or three years old. New DNA results show that the girl on the left is the daughter of Bob Evans. And the girl on the right is also related to the unidentified woman found in the first barrel. None of the bodies have been identified. Fast forward a year later in August 2001, Yoon Soon Joon had an unofficial backyard marriage ceremony with Evans in Richmond, California. She was reported missing in September of the following year and later found buried in her basement. A couple of months later, Evans was arrested and eventually convicted for her murder. We have been discussing the Allenstown Four, the four unidentified victims that were found in Allenstown. Mm -hmm. The first two found in a barrel in 1985. The second two found in a almost exact same similar barrel in 2000. And these victims have remained unidentified. Well, in January of this year, 
there becomes a huge break in this case. Yeah. So the New Hampshire attorney general announced that they believe that they have discovered the man involved in the Bear Brook murders, also known as the Allentowns Four. To be clear here, the state of New Hampshire attorney general, he announced in a press conference that after 30 some years of looking, the police are confident in regards to the four female victims found in Allentown in the two barrels. They now believe that they have their man. Which is pretty crazy though, right? Because I mean, this is the first time that I've ever heard of a case where we we identify the murderer, Mm -hmm. but we still can't identify the victims. Yeah. And he starts off the press conference by saying that that exact same statement. Really? Yeah. That, that usually, you know, you have to, there's the, that general process that you identify the victims and you take it from there and then you, you catch the killer. This situation quite a bit different, but they're putting out this information because they're hoping to receive some information in return. Now, the thing is, we're going to see that there is a lot of information that's still needed on this case. This is going to be something that you're going to see worked very hard in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see further information come out. But let's go through what we do know as of this year. So the New Hampshire Attorney General stated that Robert or Bob Evans is believed to be the killer of these four victims. So who is this Bob Evans? Actually, can, can we call him Robert Evans, Captain? That's fine. I don't want to disturb my, my weekend breakfast. Um, So Robert Evans is a man that just pretty recently police have been able to place him in New Hampshire as late as 1981. And we will show you how they are able to connect him to the four female victims in Allenstown. But to do so, we have to first talk about California because Robert Evans was serving a 15 year sentence for murder in California for killing his girlfriend slash wife. This is unsoon June. Right, and to do that, we got to go back to the year 2002. Yeah, September 2002, this story starts starts off in California's Contra Costa County, and we have a missing persons case. The person in question is Unsoon June. The first signs emerge that there is something that is not right when she did not show up for a scheduled lunch with a friend. She also started missing her regular pottery classes that she attended. A friend of June's was dissatisfied with the answers that she was getting in regards to June's whereabouts from her husband. She stopped believing explanations and excuses as to where her friend was, and then she calls the Contra Costa Sheriff's Department, and the friend decides to file a missing persons report. In this report, the friend states the last time that she had seen Unsoon June was around May 31st, 2002. And she, at this point, she was married to Robert Evans. Yeah, they had, some people will refer to them as husband and wife, or they will refer to this Robert Evans as a boyfriend, um, because they were married in some like backyard ceremony. So it wasn't like super official. Um, what happens is after that missing persons report is filed, the sheriff's department, their missing persons crime unit, they decide to go do a welfare check at the woman's home, which is located in East Richmond Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, the husband, a man who is actually going by the name of Larry Vanner, told the investigators that she was out of the state, and he like he's he's very cooperative with old, the people that old that Larry, you know. Now we 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 have to we have to kind of touch upon something here, and it's going to come around full circle, and we can explain it as we go. 
Um, but we're going to start to see a lot of different names in this story. And mm-hmm. a lot of those names are being used by one character. So Robert Evans is using multiple names throughout this story. When Larry Vanner and Robert Evans are the same person, and we will get into that a little bit later. You'll see how that's connected. Mm-hmm. So when Larry Vanner, he, he's so cooperative well, with these investigators. Say, we should just say Larry, a.k.a. Robert. Okay. Larry, a.k.a. Robert, is so cooperative with the investigators that he even agrees to go down to the department to answer some questions regarding the whereabouts of his wife. They interview him for quite some time, um, and Vanner was given a phone, and he makes a phone call. He calls a number a number that he calls from memory, which turns out to be a licensed therapist in Eugene, Oregon. Now, the detective would later state how she thought that was really weird because he had this number memorized and she believed it was part of like a ruse, like the fact that he had gone this far to, to form some kind of plan in advance. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't really put her finger on, was this something that he kept in his back pocket as a plan to get out of this particular situation? Or really was this something he would do to get out of any situation? Right, right. The detective quickly realizes that the name Lawrence William Vanner, which is the name that the man had given, had no paper trail. He had no driver's license in the state of California. He had no driver's license in any state in the U.S. that they could find. And he had no criminal history or records of any kind. Nothing that they looked for in their databases at the sheriff's department turned up regarding the name Lawrence William Vanner. But this guy, he still agrees to keep talking to her, answering questions, and he even agrees to be fingerprinted. So she also said that they made quite a bit of small talk, and mainly this is because the guy seemed to be very chatty. She also commented that he had these really strange, super blue, twinkly eyes. But as far as questioning went, he was a very personable guy. Twinkly eyes? Yeah. Like the whiz? From Seinfeld? (laughs) Yes, much like The Wiz. Yeah. Sometimes Vanner even spoke in a type of like sing-songy voice when they were Mm -hmm. talking. Um, Anyway, so he gives I I never really understood that sing-songy thing. Does somebody talk like this or something like this? In every musical that you watch, they do that. Well, right, right, but that's an actual song. But sing-songy talk. Well, well, Vanner did this from time to time during the the questioning process, Mm -hmm. and he does give his fingerprints, as we said. And while the live scan began to run the prints through the database, Mm -hmm. the detectives took Vanner out to a corner store so that he could get a drink and a pack of cigarettes. The detective, in an attempt to get some more information about this man, asked him if his accent was from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. She says to him, your accent's very interesting. Where did you grow up? Vanner then stopped talking and he leaned in real close to the detective's personal space. And with a completely different tone, he said, that's none of your goddamn business. She said it was like a flick of a switch from, from the normal behavior that she had seen before. He completely changed. Con artist. Yeah. He gets, he gets very aggressive with her. And then she says that, he then switched it off again and he kept carrying on as normal, like nothing had happened. And I'm going to post some pictures of this guy of old Robert Evans. Uh, he's, he's definitely creepy looking. He's like a creepy clown. Yeah. You know, he's like a sadistic clown with 
twinkly blue eyes. Yeah, he's just got the hair on the sides and none on the top, and it, he's kind of got that clown face. Yeah, there's this other picture, too, where he's wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt, and he just you know kind of ruined Mickey Mouse for me for the next week or so. And breakfast. Um, the fingerprints come back, and what they learn from the fingerprints gets even stranger, okay? So mm-hmm. this now shows that Larry Vanner was the same person as a man named Curtis Mayo Kimball, a man who was once convicted of abusing and abandoning a little girl at an RV park in 1986. What had happened was he was on parole for that conviction, and he, like Mm -hmm. the day they let him out, instead of checking in and doing all the stuff you're supposed to do on parole to, you know, reincorporate yourself back into society, instead he just takes off. So the detective then reads him his rights because, of course, Larry Vanner, it, it, he's, he's this Kimball guy, and he needs to be taken into custody for the parole violation. And, of course, Larry Vanner at this point stops talking to the detective. Right. Lawyers up. Um, I, I don't – they didn't cover that in this, in this portion of the story. I don't think that he actually lawyered up at this point. Right. He just said, I'm not talking. Because this is all kind of happening very quickly. It's none of your goddamn business. So now – what his, he said to her. They decide that his premises are subject to a search. So they go and they get the appropriate warrant. And they took a key to June's house from Larry Vanner's belongings. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the house. And once there, they find pictures of the missing woman still on the refrigerator. But then they don't find any women's clothing in the house. And then they well, at st- least there's pictures. Well, uh, up of her in the house. It's gonna get it's gonna get a little weird because now they start to notice the weird stuff. Uh, there are some areas on the property that look to have been recently dug up. There right. was a dried up dead kitten over the back fence. The, well, that's that is weird. Yeah, the, if you're going to dig up some of the property, at least put the cat, the dead cat, in one of those holes, right? Uh, the garage was padlocked, so they open the padlock to the garage, mm-hmm. and inside they find pottery, a kiln, and a potter's wheel. These are all June's items. At the back of the garage, they find a small door. They open the door. Now, this is a very dark room, so they're using flashlights at this point. They can see a water heater, and near the water heater is a pile of kitty litter. It's mounded over some extension cords. Yeah. There are workshop lights that are hung up in this cramped little space. Uh, They're not on, uh, but they also see a small axe and a reciprocating saw. Well... The, this is where they're starting to feel f- feel very bad. Now now we've got to call in the forensics unit, right? Because right. this whole place might be a crime scene. So the crime scene unit came in, and they started off by taking photographs of the entire place. Now it becomes time to move the mound of cat litter. So they very carefully moved just a little bit of the cat litter at first. And this is when they discovered a human foot still in a rubber flip-flop. But, oh, okay. but it's fully mummified well, by this on. point. Right. But yesterday, the, the life lesson that we learned, right? What was it? You remember? What's no. the life lesson that we learned yesterday? Don't go looking in the barrel. Don't open the barrel. Yeah, but this is their job. This is different. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I'm saying it's, it's what you can take away from the show. 
what you can learn as an individual. This is not our job. Our job is to flex our golden pipes <laughs> on these microphones. But so lesson number one yesterday, do not open the barrel. Mm-hmm. And lesson number two today is. Don't move the cat litter. Don't touch the kitty litter. Well, so, of course, murder charges followed for the man that they knew as Vanner and Kimball. Right. So he is charged as... Well, real quick question, though. So we know that he is Kimball, right? Like, that's who he is. We know that Larry Vanner is Curtis Kimball. Right. And And Curtis Campbell actually has some kind of record. We have fingerprints on file. Yeah, and that's why I think they charged him as Curtis Kimball and not as this Larry Vanner because there is some paper trail for Curtis Kimball. Now, can you explain to me how we get to Robert Evans? Yes, but it's going to um, it's going to take a little more okay, a little more explanation. And trust me, this will all come back around full circle at the end. I promise. So he ends up pleading. Don't you lie to me, boy. <laughs> He's charged as Curtis Kimball. But to everyone's surprise, he ends up pleading guilty to the charge. He pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. It's not enough, man. So what ends up ha- what what ends up happening? This turns out to be a good thing for Mr. Kimball, aka Vanner, because this avoids the man a trial, and more importantly to him, an investigation into the man calling himself Lawrence Vanner. Right. So the short of that is this detective not only puts this man behind bars, but she establishes through the fingerprint match that Lawrence Vanner is also Curtis Kimball. And Curtis Kimball was wanted on parole violation for abuse and abandonment of a minor, a minor that the court system believed to be his child. Now this awesome detective decides that, you know what? We should trace this guy as far back as we can. Right. Because, of course, the thought being here is if he is guilty of this kind of stuff and he has used more than one name, we might want mm-hmm. to at least round the bases once to just to be safe to see what else we can dig up in the process. Right, because we know he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. And we know that uh, the whole child pedophilia stuff. Yep. And that's normally repeat offenders. Yeah. And you know what? My thought here is at the very least, they might want to try to reach out to that child to see what name he was going by when he was connected yeah. to that child. Was he, was he Kimball? Was he Vanner? Was he a different name? You know, mm-hmm. th- there's only so much that they even have on this Kimball guy. You know, they traced Vanner to Kimball. They only have one arrest for this Kimball dude. So she tracks Vanner, AKA Kimball, and she figures out that he had had uh, a relationship with June uh, that began in 2000. This was the the murdered wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, this detective believes that he had lived and worked in Contra Costa, California from about 1990 to the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So from 1990 before that, there's a, quite a bit of a gray area because they don't really have much information on him until the year of 1986 as far as this detective is concerned. Right. So the, other than him being arrested in 1986 for the abandonment of a girl that he called Lisa, this was at an RV park in Northern California. She couldn't find anything else on him. And she says, you know, that just didn't make any sense to me that this guy had this little girl in 1986. 
So what she does is she orders a DNA paternity test in 2003. This is shortly after he pleads guilty to the murder charge. This is to determine whether or not he is the biological father of the girl called Lisa. Yeah, the one that was abandoned at the RV park. So what happened is now they've determined, you know, is is he the biological father? The DNS t- DNA test come in, mm-hmm. and it turns out that he, in fact, is not the father of the girl named Lisa. Right. So now we have this girl that he had abandoned, and no one knew where this girl had come from. So now we have to go back a little bit further, right? We Let's go back to the child abuse abandonment charge that he faced as Curtis Kimball. Right. So so now we we go back to this. This man, Curtis Kimball, shows up in January of 1986. This man is living and working at the Holiday Host RV Park in Scotts Valley. Uh, this is in Northern California. And he's living there, working there. And with him is a girl believed to be about five years old. And he is calling the girl Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, he... In June or July of 1986, he leaves Lisa with a family that lives in the RV park. So the way that these charges come about is that after she is living with the family for several months, Lisa starts telling the family about the man who had abandoned her. Um, And she believes him to be her father. But she's telling the family about some of the things that took place and we don't have details of that, and that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But what ends up happening is this family then notifies law enforcement to to tell them, you know, something. Not only was this girl abandoned, but we believe she was abused before she was abandoned. Right. And so that's how we get to these charges against Curtis Kimball. Now we have a very strange situation, though. Here, Captain, this is something that doesn't happen very often at all what the detective quickly realizes is this young girl that was called lisa she might have been five years old that just appeared in this rv park right well now she's an adult and she is basically a living jane doe which which we, we you very seldom see that so now we have a situation where we have a person that's lived most of their life and they really don't know who they are or where they're from well, and it's creepy stuff, and then, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, when you meet somebody, is are they who they say they are? Right. You know what I mean? Um, right, because really, until you see any kind of documentation, you, you just take people at their word. It work. doesn't even matter if you see documentation. Yeah. Really, I mean, this guy. I'm Scott White. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, You're definitely vanilla, yeah. You know what, though? Uh, I'm speaking to a guy that uses a... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uses an alias, so yeah, was, maybe you I, I, shouldn't be. Uh, they kind of frown upon it if you're teaching children. They frown upon you talking about murders. I, I, I get you on the internet. I get so you. that that's why that happened. Okay, so let's let's make some sense of this. Let's recap this real quickly. So Robert Evans, we we now know that he is responsible for the deaths and the. The four victims that of were the in, four unidentified victims in Allenstown, New Hampshire. Yes, right. And from there, they trace him back to California. Mm-hmm. And the California connection is the murder of his wife or girlfriend that he lived with in 2002. Right. 
using the name Larry. Yep, he's Larry Vanner. Mm-hmm. And from there, the, with the fingerprint match, they trace him back to that RV park from that charge in 1986 of abandoning a minor with with possible abuse. And in, in regards to that, um, you know, he was sentenced. I believe it was a three-year sentence. He served one year, and then he up and left uh, the first day of his parole. Right, of course he did. And I, and what I think they should do, and I don't know if they've done this, but have they tested uh, this living Jane Doe's DNA with any of the DNA from the barrels? Um, I believe that they have, but we're going to get, there's a whole bunch of DNA that, that comes up out of this, but we will have to get into that after this beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it 
absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, and we're back, everybody. Happy Women's Day. Okay, so the man that we and police in New Hampshire are calling Robert Evans Mm -hmm. was living under other names in California. Old IHOP Evans. He pleads guilty to the murder of his wife, girlfriend that he lives with. Mm-hmm. And in 2013, that is when the DNA test is requested of or required of this Robert Evans person. So in August of 2013, the DNA testing determines that Robert Evans and Lisa, the girl that he had abandoned at the RV park, Mm-hmm. were not biologically related. So now we have a situation where we're trying to initiate an investigation into the true identity of this girl named Lisa. She was living under the name of Lisa Jensen. Um, and that was a name that was given to her by this man. So again, we have a, a strange situation where we have a living Jane Doe. Well, and he's good at coming up with names. Mm-hmm. So... And I two, mean, he he doesn't come up with good names. No. But he's just good at coming up with names. Well, Bob Evans, I mean, he could have seen a sign 
Old IHOP evidence. <laughs> yeah. Such a douche burger. So in 2014, San Bernardino, the COSO, enlisted the assistance of DNAadoption.com. Mm-hmm. This is one of those like genealogy type things. You try to find your where you came from, your family background. Well, that's it. That's actually interesting because one of the listeners posted yesterday if if they did a genealogy on the victims of the barrels. Which, which is something that police are working on doing right now. Well, that's good. Uh, so we'll, we'll get back to that. It was so, a good listener thought is yeah, what I was saying. Yeah. Exactly. Some of these listeners should be involved in these cases. Um, so well, they, they are. With the assistance of DNAadoption.com, they use one of their search angels, is what I guess they call them, a, a genetic genealogist to identify links to possible relatives of this Lisa girl. Mm-hmm. And what they find, this takes quite a bit of time, but in 2016, they discover a first cousin and the grandfather of Lisa. Right. Now, these two people are identified and they are living in New Hampshire, which led to proving that Lisa had ties to New Hampshire. Right, which would mean that Robert would have ties to New Hampshire as well. Exactly. So what they discover after talking with these people, meeting with these people, is that Lisa, in fact, is a girl that was known by the name of Don Bowden. And she happens to be the daughter of a missing person. And this person's name is Denise Bowden. Now, the last known sighting of Denise Bowden would have been in November of 1981. So the police suspect that Denise Bowden, she went missing shortly after Thanksgiving of 1981. And at the time, she had a six-month-old daughter, this being Dawn Bowden. And she had a boyfriend that was going by the name of Robert Evans or Bob Evans. Mm -hmm. And they lived in Manchester, New Hampshire. What had happened was she had either spoken to or visited her family for Thanksgiving. And they, they're not quite sure when the, when these three people kind of disappeared from the area, but they believe that it would have been, it had to have been after Thanksgiving, but it was definitely before Christmas. So sometime in that early December time period, they believe that these three have disappeared. And the thing that kind of blows my mind about all this is we have a missing person that went missing in 81 Mm -hmm. and it's not until 2016 that she's reported missing. Correct. And that's what I was saying before. I mean, the whole idea with, you know, that some, that people live that kind of life or, or people that have those kind of friends or family around them, uh, that would not report them missing. It's, it's a very sad thing. Um, you know, well, we don't know the dynamics of their family. Um, it may not have been any wrongdoing on their part. It's, it's definitely strange, 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about many years go by before she's reported as missing. Right, and then we have that information about the other serial killer, Robinson, mm-hmm. and how he would you know, basically kidnap somebody or take somebody hostage, and then he would write to the parents saying, oh, it's okay, or, you know, I, I'm moving on with my life. And, and you were just talking earlier about how you also believe that uh, Rob- Robinson would have these victims sign pieces of paper. Yeah. And so by having, you know, a signature, maybe type up the letter, but with that signature, you know, the family just kind of believes it. And I guess, 
I think the problem here though is, it, you know, if I was a father and I'm getting some le- letter from either a guy or I'm getting a letter that's quote unquote from my daughter typed, but with her signature, right? But then they're trying to tell me that she doesn't want to be a part of my life. Well, again, hopefully I'm not, you know, hopefully I'm a decent father. Mm-hmm. And 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 if I was a decent father and somebody wanted to just be rid of me for no reason, um, you know, I'm going to fight that. Mm-hmm. So, I, but, it, but again, you, again, like you said, we don't know their social dynamics. So who knows? The, the thought here is what, what the family would tell us in 2016 was that the reason they didn't report either the mother or the daughter as being missing was that it was presented to them. Now it's unclear to us, the general public, if it was Robert Evans presenting this to them, or if it was their own daughter presenting this to them, Denise Bowden, but it was presented to them that they basically owed a whole bunch of money to everybody in the area of Manchester, New Hampshire, where they lived. Mm -hmm. So the thought was they were going to uproot, move elsewhere, transplant and, and set up shop elsewhere and create a new life somewhere debt free. Right. Um, the family probably thought they were doing their daughter some favors by not leading the possible debt collectors to her. Um, mm. That being the thought. Again, again though, again, 30 again, years go by, it's strange. Yeah, again, it, I mean, you know, maybe you don't hear from the first Christmas and, you know, nothing, you know, no big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's starting her new life. But by the second Christmas, I'm looking for this person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how can you just let your daughter just disappear almost. Yeah. And, and I said, you know, we don't know if it was Robert Evans that presented that story to them or if it was their own daughter. My guess is it might've been the daughter presenting it because the vibe I got from the attorney general and from the officers that were explaining this whole situation to the public, the vibe I got was that the family was not a fan of this Robert Evans, like that he was somebody that they they didn't like from the, which is more of a reason to go find him punch him in his stupid fucking face and then his clown face, his clown face and then pee in his little twinkly eyes. I'll make, <laughs> I'll make his little eyes twinkle. Wow. Wow. Just his face. It just got real. No, because the, here, here's what I'm getting pissed off about it because what we're seeing is the cycle and it, and it, and it involves pedophilia. Mm-hmm. That's what it involves. That's what it comes down to. Why, why was this girl missing for 30 years? Because she had a daughter he prayed on her and he, and it was the daughter he wanted the daughter and you see this t- time and time again where these uh, doucheburgers come out and they prey on single mothers with daughters or sons and they molest those kids and then once the mother finds out about it well now you got to kill the mother mm. and that's what this robert evans was doing time and time again mm-hmm was getting into situations and I guarantee you his girlfriend slash wife, that's probably why she ended up dead and why they found her at her house dead because she probably figured out that he was doing this shit or the, or figured out that he had some very sketchy past. Um, you know, anything's possible regarding that. Uh, we should state very clearly here that Denise Bowden is still technically a missing person. She's not been identified as having been found anywhere or, um, 
she's dead or to be living anywhere. And you're exactly right. The way that this has been presented by the attorney general is that they expect that knowing Robert Evans past and knowing what he's capable of, they firmly in the amount of time that's gone by, frankly, they firmly believe that, that they're looking for remains as far as Denise Bowden would go. All right. So let's connect this all together. Yeah, so in the summer of 2016, the San Bernardino uh, County Sheriff's Office, they contact the Manchester Police Department regarding the identification of Don Bowden. So Lisa Jensen, the girl that was left at the RV park, is actually Don Bowden, the daughter of Denise Bowden. And I'm so glad that they did their work so she at least has some closure and that she has some sense of an actual past before this monster. Yeah. Can you imagine that though? This, this Lisa girl, she's living with the name Lisa for all these years and she was adopted out and went on to live a very normal, happy life from what we have heard. Um, can you imagine that situation though? That, that you, you, you really basically have no family background or understanding of your family background or where you came from. You well, don't, you right. don't know your mom. You, you, well, sometimes I wish I didn't know my family background. You have this but. guy that you think is your father that, that probably abused you. At the very least, he abandoned you. And so you probably consider yourself lucky to have survived and got out of that situation. And then all these years later, you're contacted. You're living your normal life, you know, and you're doing your normal things. And then you get contacted and you're told, you know, that, that guy that left you at the RV park. We figured out that that was not his real name and he's not your father. So, sorry, I got sidetracked there. But back to the summer of 2016, this is when California contacts the New Hampshire Manchester Police Department regarding the identification of Don Bowden, the girl, in connection with a missing female, Denise Bowden, the mother. Mm -hmm. And they let them know that uh, the person that they suspect of being involved in this disappearance would be a person that they've already convicted of homicide in 2002. Right. So that same year, a multi-agency investigation begins to determine that Bob Evans, Robert Evans, his, they determine his connections to Manchester, New Hampshire and Allentown, New Hampshire. What's the major connection between old Robert IHOP Evans and the, the four in the barrel? So in October of 2016, they take Robert Evans' DNA profile. Remember, they already have this from from checking with the Lisa girl. And they compare that profile to all of the three female, these are the minor female victims that were found in Allenstown. Right. Well, the results showed that Robert Evans was the father of the middle child. Remember, this is the child that is non-maternally related to the other victims. Mm -hmm. So what are the Allenstown connections beyond that of the DNA? This is what the officers are able to determine that at some point in the late 1970s, a man that shows up using the name Robert T Evans or to friends or coworkers, he's known as Bob Evans that he lived and worked in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, he worked at the Wombeck Mills in Manchester as a mechanic and electrician. Mm-hmm. Um, he, When he was working there, he worked with the owner 
of the property in Allenstown where the barrels with the bodies in them were found in 1985. Right, because there was that little store. Yeah, and in 2000. Um, he provided electrical work to the Bear Brook store that was located on that property. Uh, and he here's the thing, though, too. That makes you wonder, Captain. Once you kind of see this situation with Robert Evans and you know that that a lot of these crimes might be driven by his pedophilia. Right. And then we hear about the owner. His last name was Callahan that owned that property, worked with him at the Wombeck Mills. Doesn't it make you wonder, does this Callahan character with his background in pedophilia, do you wonder if there's, if there's some kind of connection there? It, it seems a little too big of a coincidence to me, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of questions initially that come up. One, was it the pedophilia that brought them together and then they decided to you know, work together? Or was it through work and odd conversation? I don't know how that conversation starts, but uh, I don't want to ever have that happen. because I, I, I think I just slapped the person. But then a weird thought kind of popped in my head. What if a lot of this pedophilia stuff, what if this other guy wasn't, actually that involved mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it was just ha- happenstance or something it's 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 possible i the thing here is you know you you imagine if this callahan guy is guilty of lesser crimes i don't think he's letting somebody dump bodies on his property right um I, I actually guilty or not guilty of anything you're not letting people dump bodies on your property um well and th- this starts making me feel a little more like the whole idea of um, sex trafficking, human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it appears to be something of that nature. We we have these unidentified people that that one could think par- partly they uh, they're unidentified because they were brought into that area. Another connection here is that the first barrel that was found uh, with the adult and the oldest child that were dismembered in this barrel. Remember, they were found in trash bags. But these were multiple trash bags. So what what Robert Evans did or whomever placed them there did was to package these things together. The trash bags were tied together with electrical wire. Now, mm-hmm. we already said that he has a background as an electrician. Right, so um, that makes sense. This electrical wire could, be, could potentially be traced back to a place called Carroll Cable. Now, this is interesting because that is where Denise Bowden worked. So I do want to throw this out there, though. It is a bit of a loose connection because it's been presented to me that that type of cable, that type of wire was actually a very common type of wire. But again, here, it would be another big coincidence. Right. Well, but the fact of the matter with the old Denise case is he had her daughter. He took Mm -hmm. her daughter across the country we've no we we see this pattern with him you know as far as murders go mm-hmm. and you know so we don't we don't have to sit there and say well he he had some cable because he probably worked at this cable company that's where she worked that's another nail in the head i don't need any more nails in the head you know this right, guy right i think it's more of a connection to the four unidentified bodies um, in regards to Denise Bowden, there were people that provided law enforcement with pictures of this Robert Evans with Denise Bowden. So it's not mm-hmm. just somebody coming forward and saying, well, I know this Robert Evans guy was with Denise Bowden. No, they have photographic proof. Um, 
Some other kind of loose ends here we have with the Allenstown victims. Remember the, the, the girlfriend wife that he killed in California. Um, all five of these victims died from blunt force trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, uh, several, almost all of these victims as well were dismembered. So we, we see a bit of a pattern as far as, uh, cleaning up a, a scene and getting rid of bodies. And through investigation, they were able to uncover that Robert Evans was known to actually dump stuff on the site before. Yeah, and they had confirmed that barrels from the mill, from the Wombach Mill, were dumped on the property as well. Now, what they're saying in regards to the actual two barrels where the bodies were found stuffed into mm-hmm. is that these, they're not, they can't place them as having come from the Wombach Mill, but it, but it makes sense. I but mean, they're similar. They're very similar, yes. And then sometimes, you know, if you work in any warehouse, you know, sometimes you have like everything normally comes in this way crate mm-hmm. or in this barrel mm-hmm. right but then every now and then you just get a couple crates or a couple barrels that look a little different get a one-off right and those might have been put to the side and he possibly could have used those because they weren't using them at, at his work mm-hmm. that now remember we had said that they were able to establish that at some point in the late 1970s that robert t evans had moved into the manchester new hampshire area Uh, They have him living there until approximately 1981 when he leaves with Denise Bowden and her daughter. Um, They are able to confirm. They don't know the exact time or date that he would have moved into this property, but they have him as living at at 925 Hayward Street in Manchester, New Hampshire. Now, what has taken place since all of this uncovering has happened is that they have gone back to that property. And mainly they went back there to look for the remains of Denise Bowden. Right. Um, they, they spent almost, I think they spent three or four days there uh, with FBI and other agencies involved. And they were unable to find any trace of remains, human remains yeah, or the, Denise right. Bowden. And the problem is it's 30 some years later. Mm-hmm. So of course, police are still looking for Denise Bowden. Uh, she's been missing since November of 1981. She was, 23 years old at the time that she had disappeared or was last seen. She had brown hair, brown eyes. She was about five foot four to five foot six inches tall, 120 to 140 pounds. She had a noticeable overbite. Um, and as we had said, she was known to have been living in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. Um, the problem though, is when you have a guy like Robert T Evans, who moves all over the country with all these different names, you don't know where you could potentially find this person. She might even be a Jane Doe in some other state that that's been sitting there waiting to be named all Mm -hmm. these years. Did they do a DNA test between the girl that he left abandoned and the girls that were in the barrel to see if there was some kind of connection there there? I believe they have, and I believe that there is not. Um, any type of connection to, to them as far as being relatives. So I would, I would just be, it'd be suspect to me that, that, that the middle child that they believe is connected to Bob Evans Mm -hmm. or Robert Evans would be maybe related to the Bowdens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything's a possibility at this point. So what do we, let's try to point out what we think we know about Robert Evans. Uh, because we have these little patches in time where we don't have 
information on where he is. And this becomes a big problem because we we're starting to see what this guy is probably capable of. I mean, he's a chameleon, right? He he's a guy that moves into an area. Well, no, I mean, here's what we do know is we do know that he's capable of kidnapping. We know he's capable of abandoning children. Mm-hmm. We know that he's capable. He he is, you know, worked and probably was in cahoots with a pedophile, with a known pedophile, and he's capable of murder. Right. So we know he's capable of a lot. And it's very, it's not, it's very likely that he's a serial killer that's been moving around this country for decades. So the police estimate that Robert Evans was born between the years of 1936 and 1952. Well, that's quite a span of time there. That's Mm -hmm. 16 years of, of not being able, that's scary when, when you have this guy that you're saying he's our number one suspect, he's probably guilty of this. But we don't even know if this is his real name, and we can't tell you how old he is either. Mm-hmm. So the reason, the way that they come up with these years as having been possible birth dates that he was born sometime during this time is that on you know certain paperwork that he had filled out over the years, he used different dates that fell within this, this range. Um, he did die in prison um, in December of 2010. So he will be unable to face justice regarding these victims that that we have in Allenstown. He's also going to be unable to provide us with any information as to who he is or potential additional victims that he may have. Well, I can get, I can tell you who he is. <laughs> well, uh, he changed his name obviously frequently. Um, he had some. There's a lot of suspected aliases, but we can go through the confirmed aliases. He he had lived or worked under these names at one time or another. Uh, this being Robert T. Evans, also Curtis Mayo Kimball, General Gerald Mockerman, uh, Gordon Curtis Jensen, and Lawrence William Vanner, which was the name that he was using when he murdered his his girlfriend that he was living with. Yeah. Occupations, uh, he had worked at different times as an electrician or a man, mechanic. Um, they have a suspicion that he might have possibly worked at the Manchester, New Hampshire VA. Um, and here's, here's one thing that they're really looking into right now regarding him, is that they think, they suspect he might have some form of military background. And they even kind of specified that they believe it might be the Navy. Mm-hmm. And this just being because of the way that he would r- write dates, the way that he carried himself, the way that he talked to people uh, at different jobs that he had had. Um, and they, they even say that he was known to kind of rig things rather than fix them, that he would rig them in a manner that was would be something that they would be used to seeing in a military fashion right so he would kind of jerry rig a bunch of stuff and uh mm-hmm. but he was also a known alcoholic as as well yeah they believe that he was probably an alcoholic for most of his life kind of um, like when he got cigarettes and 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 booze and said no your goddamn business yeah it's your goddamn business if I'm an alcoholic. Well, and he was obviously, you know, as far as characteristics go, he was obviously a transient. Um, and they can confirm that he, throughout his life, lived in different campgrounds, trailer parks, and motels. You know, not really lying roots in too many places or too many places for a very long period of time. Um, mm-hmm. Confirmed locations. Now, this is important because they're trying to figure out, one, where this guy was from. You know, he pops up on the map in the late 70s. They have nothing of of him before that. 
but his confirmed locations would be obviously New Hampshire and in California. But right. they also have tied him to the state of Idaho. And this is because he was arrested in the mid 80s in California with a stolen vehicle from the state of Idaho. Now, what what they're really looking for and hoping for is that somebody comes forward and, and says, you know what? I know, you know, I knew the guy that stole my vehicle mm-hmm. or, or he lived down the street and he, he went by this name. Right. Um, so those are the confirmed locations. They have some possible locations where they think that he may have lived. Well, cause he could, he could have possibly been in jail for other murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, so the possible locations of where he, he may have lived at some point would be the state of Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Wyoming, Colorado, Missouri, Virginia, Georgia, Louisiana, Hawaii, a small part of Canada and Quebec, Canada. Well, possibly Hawaii. I mean, that would make sense if he was in the Navy. Yeah, he could have been stationed there for for whatever reason. And also the the state of Texas. Mm. Um, Now, I do want to throw this out there. This guy is obviously not to be believed on anything. You know what I mean? That we, we, you know, you know, people that, that tell stories and you say, well, take what they say with a grain of salt. I, I don't even think you can use a grain of salt when you're talking about Robert Evans here. Mm-hmm. I, the, these are locations that they question because he has some ties or he has said, mentioned these places to people at some point in his life. Right. Now, any of those background stories that he was giving to these people could be completely fabricated. Right. Complete malarkey. Yeah, they seem to be really focusing on the state of Texas as far as law enforcement goes. They're they're really interested in the state of Texas, um, and yeah, and I think what's going to come down to is they're going to they're doing a lot of hard work, and I and I I'm grateful for them to do that because there are other missing person cases. There's a uh, there's probably other John or John Doe's probably Jane Doe's in this scenario, but there's missing person cases. There's Jane Doe's out there that are connected to this guy yep, and they just need to keep doing the work to do that and maybe bring closure to somebody. Mm-hmm. And well, then that leads us perfectly into this because then you start to wonder Bob Evans, Robert Evans, uh, his victims and potential victims, who would be his potential victims? Well, obviously the Allenstown four, which seems like he's very, very likely the guilty person in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the disappearance of Denise Bowden, who's still not been found, who went missing in 1981. Right. Um, of course, his his ex-wife, ex-girlfriend that he, that he killed in, in California. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have the mother of the middle child in Allenstown. Right. We have this, this whole other woman that's not, we don't have a name for her. We don't. We don't know anything about this person. Right. This is a whole potential victim that, that we don't know anything about. Now, there is some suspicions regarding some possibilities of who could be that middle child's mother. Um, and this being a, a woman that they are trying to figure out if she even existed or not. Um, and her name would be Elizabeth Evans. So in January of, of 1980, a certified letter addressed to Robert Evans was signed for by a person by the name of Elizabeth Evans. Um, and at two points mm-hmm. in, in that same year, he was arrested. Um, and on both of those times, at both of those times, he listed his spouse's name as Elizabeth. Now, the strange thing here, though, is on a later arrest date in October of 1980, 
he's arrested again, and this time he does not list a spouse. So, again, they're unable to confirm if this person even exists or not, or or could it be somebody living under an alias that's traveling along with him? Right, but right, but 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 by force. You see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. I think it's more likely if if he was traveling with somebody. Again, he's either conning them or it's by force, mm-hmm. and he's holding people, and that goes back to the whole sex trafficking. And if this Elizabeth Evans person is not the mother of the middle child, well, then you increase your potential victim list by by another person. Um, it's it, it's it's a crazy case, um, one of the strangest that that I've seen. Um, I, I got to say here, though, Captain. What really, what really kind of drives this whole thing, and what I'm really excited about, and and is to see somebody in law enforcement take it the extra steps. That detective that put him away for murder in California back in 2002. I love that she gets a gut feeling that something just doesn't sit right with her, and she decides, you know what, we're going to mandate this dude take a DNA test. Yeah. Because this guy's passed away since then. If this went unnoticed back then, we would be sitting here with knowing. I know we have a whole bunch of extra questions involved, but we'd be sitting here with no answers at all. She not only did her darndest to put him behind bars. You know, we don't have a lot of cases where we we have talked about, you know, women and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of serendipitous. Since then, she has been promoted to captain. And, That's awesome. And she is nearing retirement. <laughs> she's a captain. Yeah, she's a captain just captain. like you. Of a, but she's a captain of a much bigger, prestigious garage than this one. I'm captain, sure. my captain. That's right. So I she, salute her. She's coming up on retirement, and she said that she is hoping to. There's nothing wrong with older ladies. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> you can you can you can send her some fan mail on your own so, time. How about captain. some flowers or some socks? Or say, yeah. hey. But she she's coming up on retirement. She does say that she plans to assist. Uh, the New Hampshire State Police, uh, even well into retirement as far as Robert Evans is concerned. Well, here's what I like about it. It's normally when law enforcement gets the man, right? Mm-hmm. They get who they think is responsible for a murder or for a crime. It normally stops, right? Man, we don't need to go any further. And yeah, I understand that we're going to keep diving into this Robert Evans guy because we want to know if he had any other victims and can we bring closure to anybody else? Mm-hmm. But we still have these four identify, unidentified people in these barrels. And we're going to continue to do some work to try to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. Because cause they deserve answers. You know what I mean? They deserve an end of their story. And they believe that with presenting to the public who this killer is, who killed those people. That mm-hmm. they think that now they might be able to put an identity to these people by tracing it through that of Robert Evans or any of these other aliases that he had given throughout the years. And what was so great is, you know, I posted, uh, you know, the DNA where they reconstruct what they think they would look like. I, I posted that picture on our Instagram and, and Twitter and everything, and a lot of people retweeted it. And, you know, I mean, that's nice because it you know, promotes the show, but mm-hmm. it's also just to get this picture out there. How many uh, of hundreds? I mean, here's, here's the thing that drives me insane is that somebody like, you know, Kim Kardashian or somebody will post something on the internet and it's millions and millions. And for, for what, you know, nobody, you know, put your fat ass away, mm-hmm. you know, and you go ruin another guy's career. 
Kanye hasn't put out shit since he's been with you. Nothing good anyways. But if people of that power, if they put out this picture and millions of people saw that maybe we would get some closure in some of this stuff. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this thing catches fire because, you know, the weird thing in researching this case, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't a case that I knew too much about. Um, and when I started diving into it, I started seeing, um, you know, witnesses, people coming forward in, in the state of New Hampshire mm -hmm. that, that are saying, I shouldn't say witnesses. These are people being interviewed, uh, for, for news stating that, you know what? I didn't, I hadn't heard of this case until five, six years ago, which right. is, which is crazy. I mean, it's four bodies in a barrel, but again, it, it never went anywhere. Um, so well, I, the longevity of this, you know, starting way back in the eighties and then, you know, almost 15 years later, then another barrel and then almost another 15 years later, DNA evidence. And now we have a guy who still, but again, we still have four victims that remain, uh, nameless. And they're, they're working very hard. They got a lot of leads that they're working on. One of those being something you mentioned earlier, where they are going to use that same, those same ways that they found out who Lisa Bowden was. Mm -hmm. They're using those same methods to try to trace genealogy with the, with the three un three and four unknown victims, uh, in, uh, Allenstown. Well, hopefully we get some answers. The thing here is though, I, 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 you touched upon something too that that I want to just take a quick second to mention. You know, they're they're really curious about the state of Texas for some reason, and they won't fully disclose why. Mm -hmm. um, my suspicion, you said something. Maybe he had served time in prison at one point, uh, and maybe that's why he just kind of pops up on the map all of a sudden in 1977. Mm -hmm. And you would think, yes, you could connect him via the fingerprints to a, an inmate, but maybe they've not tested it against the right sample. The thing here is I wonder one is also so old. Yeah. Know. And remember when we when we covered the yogurt shop murders, we talked about how the state of Texas was releasing prisons due to overcrowding in the 70s. This guy just pops up all of a sudden in the 70s. They're focusing on the state of Texas. I'm curious if he might have served some time in the state of Texas. Maybe the other thing, though, is he's, he's a runaway that joined the military or the Navy and he doesn't pop up until he he gets out of the Navy. It's a fascinating case. I really do think that we're going to see a lot of information come out regarding Robert T. Evans and hopefully these unidentified victims within this next year. Again, yeah, hopefully we get some answers. And again, thanks for sharing uh, all the stuff on social media. And uh, do we have a recommended reading for this week? We do. We have a recommended reading and a recommended viewing. First up, the reading, of course, the book we discussed yesterday, Expecting to Die by Lisa Jackson. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a fictional thriller. You can pick that up. We have that listed on our recommended page on our website, and you can pick that up through the Amazon banner there. And for a recommended viewing, I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about this, Captain. It's called Capture, Kill, Release. It's about a young married couple that documents their descent down the rabbit hole as they seek to fulfill one of their darkest desires. Uh, this is loosely based off of the real-life Ken and Barbie murders, which, of course, is one of the most famous cases from our brothers and sisters up north in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, so check out Capture, Kill, Release. That just came out this week, and that's available on Amazon as well. Again, big happy, 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 happy Women's Day. So proud of you, crazy freaks that listen to murder shows. <laughs> 
Anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And we'll see you next week. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Except for Darren. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.